Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. In this episode, we have guest host Deborah Smith, the CEO and general manager of Seattle City Light, interviewing Mike Hummel after his long tenure and career, most recently as CEO and general manager of the Salt River Project. Listen into the chat. I'm super excited today to have the opportunity to talk with really a good friend and colleague, uh, Mike Hummel, who uh, has beat me just barely to that crossing that retirement line. And uh, Mike, how long have you been retired now? Well, good morning, Deb. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast this morning. I have been retired now for about two weeks. But it's so counting, I'm, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I retired actually on May 5th. And as you know, there's some loose ends to tie up. So I think it'll take a while to have that total separation. But uh, but you have to start somewhere. So I was looking forward to it. I'm glad I'm here. Thanks, Mike. I was wondering, you know, of course, I know your story. And I've had the privilege of being around for at least uh, one or two of your goodbyes. I, I have no idea how many there actually were, but <laughs> I'm sure quite a few because you are a very well-respected and loved member of our of our public power community. And I've been really honored to get to know you these last years as I've been leading at City Light. But of course, you've been leading for much longer. Can you share just the maybe the elevator version of your career path to retirement? Okay, well, uh, most of my professional career has been at SRP. I started out of college in 82 as an electrical engineer and then uh, moved through a number of different positions, um, engineer, managers, supervisors, executive positions. Um, and then about five years ago, right, in fact, right at five years ago, I was um, asked to take over the CEO role at SRP. So I've been doing that for five years. I made a commitment to the board that I'd stay for five years and bow out and let somebody else move on. And, um, and so here we are. That's the, that's the elevator speech. That's pretty cool. Mike, where did you go to school? Just out of curiosity. I went to school at University of Arizona. I grew up in Tucson. And so I got my bachelor's in uh, electrical engineering from University of Arizona, and then later I uh, got my MBA from Arizona State University. And that, my so. friend, is the reason why we are friends, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I knew where Mike went to school, just for the fun of it. Mike, Mike is a mild cat who uh, yeah. started his career in 1982, and I am a sun devil who started my career yeah. uh, in 1982. But the fact that Mike came back and got his MBA makes him okay mm -hmm. with me. So, um, so Mike. Well, well, I'll tell you, Deb, all my family going back for generations went to University of Arizona. So I did get the ASU diploma, but I just, I'm not allowed to hang it up anywhere. <laughs> That's kind of funny, actually. Well, okay. So I have some, I think, kind of fun questions for you today. And what I want to do, just so you can kind of prepare, I'm going to ask you kind of some uh, past, present, future, Okay. So okay. let's start with a few reflections from the past. And, you know, here it goes. If you could write your own eulogy, Mike, and, and perhaps you've already done so, although I, you're not that much of a control freak. You're kind of, <laughs> I know lots of people who probably have. Um, please share. Can you share one example of something that you're, you're just super proud of and you hope that you're remembered for? 
Well, you know, I'll tell you, one of the things I'm most proud of uh, professionally, Deb, is um, we, we significantly changed the culture at SRP, I think, over the last half a dozen years or so. Uh, and we, we created a culture that was there a long time ago and then somehow got lost along the way. And that was where that company really did. Uh, feel like a family, and it really felt like the leadership of the organization cared about uh, what was going on with the people there. And as I think about legacies and what you leave at an organization, uh, to me, culture is about the most important thing you can leave. So I'm very, very proud of that. Um, That's obviously not a a one-man game. And I brought in a staff that believed in the same things and had the same uh, core beliefs in the organization and our mission and help carry that on. And in fact, they still are. So I, I'm very, very proud of that. And I hope that that people think about that as the legacy. I love that. And I, th- I agree with you. I mean, it is culture. I tell my organization all the time, I can't change the culture. We can change the culture because it right. is a group activity. But I also believe really strongly in tone at the top. So I totally understand what you're saying. And you know, honestly, and I think you and I have talked about this before. How many grandkids do you and Sherry have? Uh, we have two. Right. And I have two right now as well with another on the way. And I think that, you know, what we've talked about is at the end of the day, it is people. It's it's our families and it's the families that we help create in our work uh, organizations that, that are and that will that will deliver on our legacy, whatever that might be, because I could do or you could do something amazing today. And if the culture wasn't in place, it could be undone tomorrow. So changing a culture is something to be very proud of. But now, Mike, do you play golf? Uh, you know what? I played, I think, two games of golf in high school. And then my staff thought I should take up retirement. So they bought me golf clubs for a retirement present. So no, what? I don't. But appar- apparently I'm going to. Are you excited about that? <laughs> Apprehensive. Yeah. Think of all the people that spend really a lot of money to come to Scottsdale and the Valley to play golf in the winter. And you are right there. So your staff had a great idea. So here's the deal. As you learn golf, and I'm a terrible golfer, but I aspire to be a better one in my retirement. So maybe we'll play a game sometime. You get one. Well, let's more. Do, Go ahead. Let's do that. Let's do that before you get very good. Okay. Because... Well, I don't think I'll ever get very good. But <laughs> yeah, don't worry. But you get one mulligan in your in your ah. professional life. One do-over. What would it be? One do-over in my professional life. You know, I probably get a lot of them because I've made a lot of mistakes like all of us have. Um, but there's a couple that stand out in my mind. One of them is a bit tactical. Uh, I took over resource planning oh, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. Uh, And when I was asked to go do that, I didn't even know what resource planning (laughs) did, to be honest with you. I was a distribution engineer and I was all of a sudden running resource planning. Um, So I had to learn it very quickly. But we had a project on the books at that time for a 2000 megawatt uh, pump storage facility. And um, we do have some pump storage now. We are a water provider and manage seven dams and And so we have a little bit, but nothing of that scale. And I remember thinking, uh, one, this is going to take 10 years to get through the permitting process and get it done. That's a long time, uh, which now we all know that's like in five minutes and you tell me time. Um, 
and, and it's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, and why do we really need that much storage on our system? So today we are um, pulling our hair out, trying to get four hour batteries on our system and hopefully more. We're looking at other kinds of storage, but if we could have 2000 megawatts of storage, um, uh, pump hydro storage on our system right now, we would be so, so far ahead of the game. Uh, so I wish I would have had the foresight at that time to do that. Wow. Um, now, now having said that, um, one of the good things about making mistakes, if you're smart, you can change. So we actually restarted that project a couple of years ago and we're going through the permitting process for it right now. Oh, so that's, I'm, that's awesome. I'm yeah. I'm looking forward to getting that done. I, I will tell you one more mulligan since, since <laughs> I've not played golf, I get two. Um, you know, it took me a long time in my leadership journey to realize that you build far better teams when you stop trying to find people that work like you do. Oh. And, you know, I, I tried to shape staffs over the last 40 years um, that would think and operate the way I do. Oh. And, you know, I have people that today on my staff or two weeks ago on my staff that now that works so much different than me, not, not only, I'm not talking about just diversity and, and um, gender or in ethnic diversity. I'm talking about people who approach problems differently. I'm talking about people who have different backgrounds and people who will challenge you to do things differently. I wished I would have learned that much, much earlier in my career. Uh, it would have been a more fun career actually. Uh, because you do do much better things with a with a group of, that really thinks far differently. So um, that's one of the things I try to tell new leaders all the time is the the most arrogant thing you could do as a new leader is try to build a staff that thinks and acts the same way you do. You just don't get the benefit. Great insight. I mean, I, as you were talking, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, yeah, we do. We tend to, especially today right now, we get really caught up in, as we should, you know, we're very conscious. I know we are at Seattle and I believe you are as well. Very conscious of um, how we move forward, especially as we're all looking at modernizing our infrastructure and modernizing our grid, preparing for the future, that we do that in a way that honors equity, uh, diversion and inclusion. And I know that's especially important to many of us out West. But at the same time, yeah, lived experience is a huge piece of that. And people who have had different lived experiences or just who have different perspectives um, and surrounding ourselves with them, that's a that's a, a, a gift. And I used to teach a class called Crucial Conversations and it was all about the, the what they used was this model that talked about the pool of shared meaning. And the more people that would put into that pool the better the the decision that would come out of it. And I, and I think you've experienced that and that's pretty cool. So- Yeah, you know, I, I think we all, uh, w one, that's it's so much easier to work with people who think and act like you do. So that's the natural default um, and it's, it's just less stressful. Um, but I, I think we all, when we start in leadership, we hire good people and then we try to change how they're working to be more consistent with how you would work uh, rather than letting them um, succeed how they've succeeded in the past. And it, it feels like that should be an a priori skill, but it really is learned. 
and it wow. takes a while and it takes some mistakes to get there. You know, what's funny is as you were just saying that, Mike, I thought, well, we do the same thing when we marry people. <laughs> yeah, good I point. Mean, it's like, oh, I love you. And then I marry you and I want you to change and be different. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I think you're right. I think that is just uh, natural and it's kind of who we are. So I want to talk about the present for just a minute. And you've actually given me a great opening. I know because I've heard you talk about it, that SRP and Mike Hummel are very big on long duration battery energy storage. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know that SRP is doing some work and you were really at the forefront of that. Yeah, I don't, I, clearly storage is the key that unlocks more renewables on all of our systems. Um, and in the desert Southwest, we have a, uh, we're a summer peaking utility, obviously. Um, and our peak happens about six o'clock in the evening. Uh, that's that's several hours from the solar peak, so you can continue to add solar, uh, wow. and you get diminishing returns on what that capacity is. So unless you can capture that and move that around during the day, you just ca you can't be effective uh, in adding more renewables. So we're about at that limit. We have roughly two thousand megawatt. We're an eight thousand megawatt system, by the way. We have roughly two thousand megawatts of of solar on our system, we have wind on our system, we have some hydro and um, biomass, some other uh, carbon-free uh, generation resources as well. Um, but being able to count on uh, renewables for capacity and not having to back it up with fossil fuel generation uh, is really gonna be important if we're gonna move forward and decarbonize this industry more than we are right now. So we have been looking at all kinds of storage. Um, obviously, lithium-ion storage is the most prevalent right now. And we have, uh, you know, I would say about 1,500 megawatts, a very large commitment to, to batteries right now. But those are four-hour batteries, and that doesn't get you very far. Uh, you can turn them into eight-hour batteries, but you have to put on twice as many on your system. Uh, so continuing to invest in storage, continuing to do R&D on on additional storage, I think is really going to be critical for us anyway, to continue to add solar. You know, it's, we're obviously here in the Valley of the Sun, and uh, the general public doesn't understand why everything we do can't be solar. Uh, but the fact is, is I like to run my air conditioner at night, and everybody else does. And, and um, if the sun's not shining that day, I still want to be able to turn my air conditioner on. So we have to have something to back that up. It's either going to be fossil fuel generation or it's going to be um, some kind of storage. That's fascinating. And, you know, I think this is this is me thinking this, and I'm going to guess I'm not the only one. But when I think of climate change impacts, especially along the West, where Seattle, for instance, which has always been a winter picking utility, and our summer loads are going up, crazy. I mean, we are now, we now clearly have two peaks and it's increased air conditioning, et cetera. And so, you know, I think about where, where we're going and what climate change is doing to our weather. I don't think we think about climate change having an impact on, for instance, Arizona or the desert Southwest because it's already so hot, but I think there are changes. W what are they? What do you, what do you well, worry about? What, what is your utility? What do you and APS and, and the others think about in terms of, of Arizona and the weather? 
No, it, it does have an impact on everybody, including uh, Arizona. I mean, we like to say we have two seasons here this summer and last summer. Um, <laughs> so it, it is always hot uh, in the summertime, but, but it's, it's having a couple impacts. One is um, it's hotter for a longer period of time. And as you know, when you start hitting peaks three, four days in a row, it's not just your generation that struggles. It's your transmission and distribution and transformers and, and equipment that just doesn't have a time to cool off. So with that, um, uh, those longer duration periods of heat, there's, there's a struggle on the entire T&D system. Um, it, it also is changing nighttime temperatures and raising nighttime temperatures. So um, your ability to meet load in the, at, at night, is, as I said earlier, is going to come down to having some way to back up those, those renewable resources. It has an impact year-round, frankly. And I talk about being a summer peaking utility, but we're not, we don't have an insignificant peak in the winter. Uh, we have a lot of winter visitors here, which help bolster that load a little bit. Um, but we have two peaks during the day in the, in the winter. We have the morning peak and the evening peak, and they're very sharp, steep ramps oh, to those. Interesting. Um, and so renewables and batteries uh, are going to play even a different role in the middle of the winter. Um, the, we, we've only, in, in my memory, we have only shed retail load two times uh, because of a lack of capacity, and both of them were in the winter, not the summer. Oh, interesting. Um, there's yeah. a lot of gen generation and transmission that are down for maintenance yeah. um, and during the winter and you have less capacity and those, those peaks can be so sharp that they can be tough to manage. Uh, we also see it a lot on the, the uh, water side. So with climate change, what we've seen and, and you know, unless you've been uh, living in a hole, you've, you've seen the reports on the Colorado River and the uh, lake levels at Lake Mead and Lake Powell, and those have a generation impact on the entire West. Yeah. Um, and, and then smaller river systems as well. Uh, our dams and our hydroelectric facilities are, um, have a little different hydrology and meteorology where they are. We've not been as impacted. In fact, they're essentially 100% full right now. Um, but we're seeing um, less water. We're seeing more intense droughts than we've seen before. And so that's going to have an, an issue both on the water delivery side as well as the generation side. So is the answer, Mike, that we return to the day of swamp coolers down in Arizona? <laughs> <laughs> my parents or my grandparents actually uh, lived in Mesa for my whole life. So I have I still have family in the in the area. They've mostly migrated north uh, up to Prescott and in that area. Yeah. Not surprising. OK. Let's let's look. I, I I grew up with the swamp heater, Deb. So oh. I, I I remember what that's like, and I remember the newspapers being wet and sheets wet, and just the humidity in the house being about seventy percent. Yep. My the, my grandparents lived in a you know they lived in a a trailer home or trailer in a trailer park for seniors in Mesa, and they had a swamp cooler for a very very long time. So yeah, uh, it's interesting. So okay. So I hear the ghost of Christmas future knocking on the door. But let's, <laughs> let's look ahead for a moment, because I think that's probably an area where um, our listeners are probably most interested in hearing what you have to say. So some would say and some do say that the industry that you and I both love 
is in the midst of the greatest transformation since the electrification of rural America. So do you agree or disagree? And what's the driver for that transformation? I, I do agree. I, and I tell young engineers that today that they're going to see more change in the next 10 years uh, in this industry than I've seen in my career. I mean, we went for a long time, you and I, in these careers without change. And there was, there was just kind of nibbling at the edges for uh, 25 years, 30 years. In the last 10, we've seen quite a bit, but I think it's just starting. One of the, the disappointments about retiring, and I don't have any regrets about retiring or the timing. Uh, I just think it would be so exciting to be starting in this industry mm -hmm. right now as a young engineer and seeing these changes. It's such an opportunity and I hope people take advantage of that and it becomes uh, an industry that's kind of sexy for people to want to come into for young engineers. But as, as far as change, I think that we're gonna see it in a couple ways. Uh, one is clearly on the generation resource side, uh, the, the, the decarbonization is of just the electric industry is, um, I mean, it's, it's out of the bottle. It's not going back. Uh, and we have to figure out how to make that work. So not only is it uh, how do you cite more renewable generation, which people are not happy with citing new solar fields anymore. Right. And it's becoming uh, as hard to cite a, a solar field in some places as, as it is a gas plant. Maybe well, and, and Mike Wynn, too. Farmers are no longer interested in leasing their land for exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it starts there, but it's well beyond that. It's how we operate it. We have operated an inertia-based electric system uh, since it started. We are no longer doing that. We're operating a solid-state inverter-based system. Uh, decisions on dispatch uh, have to be made now instantaneously. So the memory of traders sitting around talking about next hour, next day, what they do, you know, it's now computers, it's AI, it's looking at weather patterns, it's dispatching on a, on a larger geographic scale than it has before. And then making sure you have a T&D system that can handle that kind of flexibility. Uh, so not only do we not have that in place today, we don't even have the tools in place for all of that. They're being developed as we go. Um, there, there was a time, you know, it's not that long ago, 10 years ago, when a number of utilities were, were really pushing hard against RTOs. And, and I would say SRP was one of them at the time. It was difficult then to see the benefit to our retail customers. And we, we, are, we aggressively protect the interests of our our retail customers and we couldn't find the value in it. But with the changes in the generation portfolios and transmission now, I think we have to agree that we're going to need a larger footprint. Now, I don't know what that means, if it means different markets, different RTOs, ISOs, different transmission interconnections, east and west, um, but we need a bigger footprint to be able to manage the resources that we have more effectively and we're gonna have to find ways to do, do that. That's going to be a big piece of it. But Deb, I think one of the biggest changes I look forward, and, and I think we'll solve all those. We have really smart people and creative people, and I think we'll solve that. Um, one of the biggest changes I think we're going to see is in the people. Uh, I think we all started at utilities for different reasons 40 years ago. Uh, we had a certain uh, work ethic that was expected of us and what we did and life balances that were expected of us. 
that's changed considerably and COVID changed it even more. So when, when I look at, at employees that are starting now, I see some uh, excellent, great employees. I, I, see, I see people who want to do good things. They're far more aggressive and creative, I think, than I was at their age. Uh, but they want a different balance in their life than we all wanted when we started it. Uh, and they're not wrong. And so it, as an industry, we're going to have to find a way to accommodate that, whether we're talking about um, numbers of work days or hybrid or, uh, or um, um, benefits for employees, whatever that means. It's going to look a lot different than it looks right now. Yeah, and I love the way um, you come back to people. You know, you started with, you know, legacy being kind of about people. And here you are back talking about people again, which I agree with you. I mean, we could spend hours talking about all the technological changes that have already taken place and what will happen in the future. And a lot of the folks that listen to this podcast who are really interested in how the grid will modernize and what it will be capable of doing, they're not wrong to think about that and and, and wonder and, and dream. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, the people issues are incredibly challenging. And you're right, they're right, they're not wrong. Um, I remember when I had kids back, just a great example, and you, you and I are about the same age. When I had my children, I've always been a working mom. You know, I was really, I considered myself incredibly fortunate because I had all my kids by C-section. And that meant I got six weeks off after I had them. In school, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and was that right? Absolutely not. And, you know, I think one of the challenges for our generation, and, and we're kind of aging out of it, is to not go to that place, just like you were talking about how we try and we hire someone for their differences and then we try and make them think like us. Well, it's the same thing. We apply, well, hey, I, that's what happened to me. So that had to be right. And it's really hard to say, yeah, that's what happened to me. And thank goodness that's not happening to today's parents. Okay, we're, we're getting close on time. So what you have two grandkids again, how old are they? Well, I have a grandson who's three and a half, and I have a granddaughter who will be two in September. Okay, so what's your grandson's name? Jack and his sister's June. Oh, I love that. So Jack says, Poppy, why did you and Nana and the rest of the old folks <laughs> let climate change get so bad without taking action? What would you say? Well, you know, I would say I, I think we did – the best that we could do with what we knew. You know, all of us would like to go back and do different things in our life. Um, when climate, I mean, I can remember in the 70s, the discussions, or in the, I'm sorry, in the 80s, the discussions about the next ice age and global freezing. <laughs> and and it, it wasn't very long after that, you start hearing about global warming. And it's hard to sort through what's right, what's wrong, what's activists, what's hysteria. Um, and we, we are charged as utility CEOs with bringing value to our customers, bring reliability, bring a low cost to our customers. And that's what's dominated our way of thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when the attacks on coal, and I'll call it that, although... Yeah. You know, it certainly was the right thing to do in retrospect. And started currently, and currently on natural gas. Mm -hmm. And currently on natural gas, um, we we naturally, as utility executives, rallied against that because it was going to harm reliability and cost for our 
customers. And that's what we were there to protect. Um, so I don't think any of us looked at it and said, you know, heck with climate change, let it get hotter, we don't care. I just don't think we understood the science or believed in the science at that time and that we were a central part of it. So looking back, would we have done things differently? Yeah, I think so. But what? I'm, I'm not sure what, because when you look at technologies that were available to replace fossil fuels, they weren't there. Uh, so if, as, as I go back just 10 years ago, I could not have taken a coal plant out of service or a gas plant out of service and had something reliable I could count on. So you know, do you want to trade um, a guess about climate change with having people not have air conditioning when it's 120 out, uh, which is a health issue in itself. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we always look at that balance and, you know, the retrospectoscope is 2020 and we can look back and say, we've done something different. And so I would say, Jack, you know, you have an opportunity to, to do something better and move it forward and, and listen with an open mind and listen to people who are, who can guide you and, and make your best decisions. I love that. I'll have to use that on Oliver, who's seven. I like that. <laughs> All we can do is provide the best we can, and then the next generation picks it up. And, you know, I think the hope is that we're still there to provide whatever help and guidance we can along the way. Okay, two more things, and then we're going to call it. But one okay. is, I always like to end on a positive note. So given what you just said, and given some of what we've talked about, what gives you hope as you look forward? Oh, I'm, I'm, what constantly gives me hope is the people that are coming into this industry. Like I said earlier, that they are so smart, so much smarter than I was at that age. And, you know, they're fearless. I would never think about talking to a manager when I started, <laughs> let alone questioning a CEO. Uh, and these young employees, they, they don't have that inhibition and they're, more than willing to send me an email or call me and tell me about something we ought to be doing different. Uh, and I think, and, and if anything gives me hope, it's that. Those are the people who really are going to make a difference in what we do. I love that. And you and I are alike in that we're uh, kind of old hippies a little bit. And I don't like positional, I don't, I don't revere uh, positional authority in others so therefore I don't revere it in myself. And it's always yeah. strikes me as odd that people would feel uncomfortable talking to me. And it is such a relief when they, when they are comfortable and they do it. Okay. Last thing. So um, I'm going to throw out um, some, um, just some comments here and then you get to answer whether this is something that you care about either now, or you could see being important to you in your future. So here we go. Did you know that today is national carb day and, and that doesn't mean food. That is about racing enthusiasts. Do you like uh, racing? No, I I uh, fortunately have cars without carburetors, so I'm I, I'm not celebrating national. Me carb too. Day. And in fact, we were talking <laughs> with the electric cars now. I used to say I'm not I'm not firing on all cylinders. Well, you'll have to think <laughs> yeah. about that. what's the electric car equivalent of that. Okay, yeah. it's also National Cherry Dessert Day. Do you uh, like cherries? I love cherry pie. That's great. And regular cherries from up here are the best. They are. They are. We spend some time in Montana, and I love those Rainier cherries. 
Okay, so here's one for Jack. Today is National Paper Airplane Day. Ah. Ever thought about uh, flying or becoming a pilot in your retirement? No, I have no interest in it. I like to have the door or the curtain closed on the pilot's cabin so I can think it's God. (laughs) I (laughs) I don't want to see it's a real person flying. I'm the same way. And don't get me in a small plane unless I have a blindfold (laughs) and I'm sleeping. Okay, it is also, oddly enough, National Blueberry Cheesecake Day. How do you like your cheesecake? I'm not a cheesecake fan. I love blueberries, though. Oh, wow. See, now you would be just like my husband. Blueberries on everything, but not the sweets. Yeah. All right. It is also National Road Trip Day. Any any vacations planned for the summer? Oh, boy, we take a lot of road trips. You know, I retired on the 5th. I went to Hawaii on the 6th for a week and then came back and drove up to Colorado for a few days. Up there, then we're going to head back to Colorado. Well, in between that, I flew up to North Dakota and picked up a new puppy for oh. a retirement present. Oh. And uh, th- then we're going to head up to Colorado for most of June here in a few days. So, uh, uh, right. yeah, lots of road, lots of trips. Okay. And lastly, today is Stevie Nick's birthday. Are you a <laughs> fan or not? By the way, Mike is a musician. Maybe you could end <laughs> by telling us just a bit about that. Yeah, I love Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, no, they're great. And you and I are both of the age where we'd appreciate the the Rumors album. So. Absolutely. Uh, I was trying to find a Rumors t-shirt, and I haven't. <laughs> I did just order yeah. a really old t-shirt that says, I, one of those from our, our, our youth, that's, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's on its way. I haven't, seen, okay, haven't but, seen that one in a long time. No, it's a stretch. It's a stretch to say I'm a musician. I, I, um, I always said I wanted to play the guitar. So when I was 40, my wife got tired of hearing that and bought me a guitar. And and so I've been playing ever since and, um, uh, own several guitars. So people might think I'm a musician, but I, I pick at it a little bit. It's fun. Well, that's awesome, actually. So, uh, so I was going to say, so we could call you a jack of all trades, but we'll call you a poppy of all trades. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> jack is, is on his own. Anyway, I, you know, I think we're out of time. I just want to really, really thank you for taking a few minutes out of your retirement to talk to me. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Mike. It's been a pleasure and um, appreciate always your friendship, your, uh, and your, your, being a a colleague and a coworker and someone that I look up to. So uh, enjoy, enjoy whatever the next road trip may be. Thank you. Deb, thank you very much. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app.